turn to Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. I, I love being here today because I, I, I love God's people. I, I love the purpose of what we're doing. I love the, I love the fact that I can learn what our purpose is right here. There's, there's a lot of things that a lot of people are going to say, this is what church is. I, I need to be able to go back and hear what he tells me church is. And I hope you feel the same way. A lot, a lot of things we pass on, a lot of things that we do out of tradition, but there's some things that we need to just get right down to the nitty-gritty, dive into God's word, ask him what he's saying, why he said it, and what he wants us to do. And that's what we find. I feel like when I'm here, I'm amongst family. I'm in a place that I belong. I'm, I'm among friends. And that, you know what I realized is that's what God wants the church to be. That's what God laid the church out to be. It's not about a bunch of programs. It's not about a bunch of the services that we put the emphasis on. Not that we don't do those things, but that stuff should be the byproduct of family getting together. With everything that we do in practice, I want to challenge us as a church. We ask ourselves, is this biblical when did we get away from asking that question we we will put our own spins and opinions and our theories and things like that and after all i've had people tell me with all their heart of oh man i'm so passionate about this and i love this and i i would i would die for this and i'm asking the question where does the bible where did god almighty say that a lot of times we're so passionate about following what we like that we forget all about what God likes. We're so quick to look outside of the world and judge them for not following God. I think God would look sometimes in the church and say, when did you get away from following me and doing some of the things that I've told you to do? It's why we have the word of God. It is our guide. It will never lead us astray. It will never mess us up. It will never not be relevant to us as Christians. It doesn't matter what the day and age is. The Bible has given it to us to give us the strength and the unity that we need as a church. In this passage, we find Peter, who was arrested, set free by God. God literally just goes up and pulls him out and says, dude, get back out there and keep preaching. So he gets back out there and he keeps preaching. And we find Peter and them being beat and threatened. Do not preach anymore. Do not stand and tell this. We don't like what you're saying. We don't like it how it's coming across. And Peter in Acts 5.29, and I, I tell you, if we would practice this verse as a church and families, if, if pastors would practice this verse, this world would be a better place. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. Guys, I, I'm glad to hear what you feel and what you're thinking and everything, but here's the thing. We answer to God, so we're going to keep on doing what we're doing. They began to realize that they could not stop these men. They, 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 they could not slow down the gospel. They could not hinder the gospel. They could not do any of these things that they were trying to do. And one of the leaders that had somewhat some wisdom inside his brain stood up and said, Hey guys, come here for a minute. Let, let's talk. In verse 38, and he said, Now I say, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this be the work of men, it will come to naught. Now let, let me tell you guys right now. If it is a man thing, it will fall apart. But if it's a God thing, dude, we cannot stop it. He, says, he said, but if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they weren't going to let that go. 
And they commanded them that they should speak no, or in the name of Jesus Christ no more and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame for his name. Take us a long time to get to that point right there. Once again, they continued. But it's how they continued. I, I look at these guys and I'm thinking, wow, it's not just op- uh, opposition that they're facing at work. It's not just, you know, the government coming after them, trying to make them pay tax on a little bit of their property. It's, it's not a lot of the things that we're like, oh, man, they, they are beating them. The church still kept moving forward. And the Bible says, and we go back and I read the same thing that I read in Acts chapter 2, and daily... In the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. We've been studying about biblical fellowship. And about what happens when we're united, when we're brought together, when we have a unity of love, deep God-driven love towards one another. The Bible says in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, which is the next passage, we see what they did. And the Bible says in those days, the number of the disciples was multiplied. I don't know about you guys, but I'm all about reading in the Bible where God says, and God did bid something cool. They went through a little opposition, and then afterwards, it kind of exploded, and God worked, and God changed, and God, God did this, and God did that. That's kind of exciting to read in the Bible. Would you not agree with that? If, you were, if, if, if it said that it, they were multiplied, and that was your last lost son or daughter, you'd get a little excited about that. If it was that neighbor, that mom and that dad, or whoever it was, and that's the person that was reached, you'd be a little excited about it. But God said, man, I have a plan to reach people. The same way that chapter 2 ends, we see it ended here. But we're not reading of pews and songbooks and bulletins and welcome teams and choirs and all the things that we think of as church. But we do read a biblical fellowship. Let me remind you, fellowship is an association, a community, a communion, a joint participation, an intimacy. It's what the Greek definition of fellowship was. It it tells us and it teaches us that this church had a bond. They had a deep connection. They shared a sacrificial love. I want to pause for just a minute and I want to, before I step into this next point, I want to take you guys back to Acts chapter 2 and I want to just... Look at those same points that we looked at last week. And I I want to make sure that you understand this. Last week we looked at the church must be a connected. A connected through biblical fellowship. The church must be biblically fellowshipping with one another. Not just a congregated crowd. You know what I mean by that? What we're doing right here is awesome. What we're doing right here is biblical. The Bible says in the congregation of his saints that they assembled themselves together. They were in one accord. They lifted up their voice. They clapped in unison or maybe not so much in unison. They they praised God together. They heard the preaching of the word of God. They had all these things in common. We read that. We study that in God's word. But then we see more. We see that they walked out of that congregation and they had a connection We looked at that they were connected by their conviction. The Bible says in 2.44 that they all believed and were together and had all things in common. The very fact that we had John and Jennifer on here and they're sitting there saying, you know what guys, 
I'm raising my kids the same way that you're trying to raise them. You're teaching them. Guys, help me not be alone as I do this. That's why we bring them before the church. It's not just so that they have a cute picture to put in their baby book. It's, it's not just because it's a tradition of things that we do. Man, this is true. This is real. Hey, my kids are going to grow up. They need to hear about Jesus, not just from me, but from you guys. Please help me. They were, they were united in their conviction. They were connected by their care. The Bible says, verse 45, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They had each other's backs. Whether I didn't care what they had to do, the guy turned around and said, hey, we'll sell that donkey that we have and we'll give that money to so-and-so and so-and-so is without their house and it burned down. We'll do what we have to do to take care of one another. Not the attitude of, well, it's not my problem. I'm not saying turn around and hand in your bills, your pile of bills to everybody in the church and say, pay this. But I'm telling you, when there's a compassion, the Bible says that they had love and unity one to another and they had care for one another. They were connected by their cause. By the, we get to verse 47, they said that they and the Lord had added unto the church daily such as should be saved. They took what they had and they went out and they gave it to others. They didn't hold it to themselves. I told you guys, I've, I, I still want to be a pastor that preaches from my heart. And I, I, I've got my notes and I've got my outline, but I tell you, I want God to speak through me to tell us what he wants us to hear. I wrote it down five times. Five times this week I had somebody come up to me and share their heart, either on the phone or something else. And I'll, I'll tell you five times of this, and not that I'm giving out specific things, of people saying things like, I feel so alone when I'm at my house by myself. One of them said, I would cry out and ask people to pray for me, but I don't even know who to ask. I'm not close enough to anybody in the church to share this kind of information with. Somebody said, I, I believe if people honestly knew what I was going through in this life, they would, be, they would unfriend me. They would, they would cut me out. They would just think that I was too many problems or issues, and they would not want to deal with me. And when I'm thinking, wow, why, why would you feel that way? And, oh, yeah, and I'm hearing this over and over again, and I'm saying, there is a problem in the church when church people don't have other church people's backs. When you feel alienated, when you feel alone, when you can be sick or exhausted or frustrated in life and you feel like you're alone because God made us a promise, he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And you say, man, at least I've got God. God's made us a promise and God turns around and taps us on the shoulder and says, wait a minute. The way that I show my presence to my people is through my people. Do you guys get that? All day long, you can throw out these verses and say, my God is always there. My God will never leave me. My God will this. And God says, yes. And you, you, you are my messengers to show that. Right, right. I, I'd be a little freaked out if I woke up and had Jesus standing over my head. Son, you are not alone. No, no, no. Okay, God. You know, I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us. But it's a different thing when somebody knocks on the door and says, hey, man, you're on my heart. And I, I just stopped by today just to pray with you. Be like, whoa, you did what? That's not normal. I'll tell you what they, what they had going on in Acts chapter 2 was not normal. Right. We, we've got to get beyond what we're expecting to be normal. It's not normal to sell your positions and give them to those people that you love. It's not normal for them to sit there and be under attack and being threatened and then beaten for preaching the gospel. For them to stand up and go, dude, that was awesome. Let's go do it again. 
It's not normal. But God was doing something amongst them that God was doing something great to stir them up. We get to our next point. The application is where we have to get to this. The church must have a plan in place to connect. Have you ever heard the phrase that talk is cheap? I'm going to tell you guys right now, talk is cheap. It is so easy to turn around and say, yeah, we, that is a problem. Yeah, we should do something. Oh, my goodness, you, 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 you've been going through that, that cancer. Or you, you went through that death and even, even things. And I'm, I'm being so honest with you right now. Where it breaks my heart is for someone will go through a death, especially losing somebody that they've been married to for 30, 40, and 50 years. You know what a blessing it is when they go through that and they have two, three, four hundred church members come up and give them a hug at this altar? You know what a blessing it is for them to, 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 to get 200 cards in the mail? And I'm not just exaggerating. These types of things have happened even in our church, and I, I praise the Lord for that connection that we have. What a blessing. People for that week, two weeks going out, will show up at their door every single day and bring them a, a, a cake or dinner or something like that and just say, I want you to know that I love you and that we're thinking about you. And What a blessing that is. Two months later, it's a little different story. Two months later, you have that widow that Gets up every day and sits in that recliner with that other recliner empty. She has to have that time to be able to just sit there and cry before maybe she can start her day. She might go a week or two without getting that phone call of, hey, what's going on or what's happening in your life? Sit there and say, I don't want to hear about that, but here's the reality. That's what's going on, okay? Just so you know. The world that we live in has made us so stinking busy that we don't have time for one another like we should. We're all going to admit it and just say, I do more of that stuff, but I'm just so busy that I, I, it's not that I don't care about her or him or whatever, just I get so caught up. I get so burdened. I, I, I've got my kids and this, and all of a sudden they, their, their name will pop on my head, and I'm so busy doing this or that that I forget. I don't call and I don't go by, and I don't share, and I don't, I don't do what I feel like I should do. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and they continue daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they did eat their meat with singleness and gladness and singleness of heart. I, I realized from studying the Bible that the church did more than attend church together on Sunday. They shared life together through the week. They were connected in their problems, in their burdens, and their frustrations that they did. They carried each other's needs. They lifted each other up in prayer. They communicated the care that they had through their prayers. The Bible says that they did this. And, and then I read in the other passage that says and that there were 3,000 souls added to the church the day of Pentecost alone. That's not even counting women and children. I, I ask you guys, that's a pretty big church. And then I read on and says, and then they went on from breaking bread from house to house. They had the coolest, biggest houses you've ever seen. I said, no, that's not how it was. You're right. That's not how it was. 
See, that giant 3,000 plus, all those that were saved, plus that were added to the church in verse 47, plus all those that were added in verse 6 and 7, and all those, everything. The church kept getting better, but the church remained strong because they remained connected as a body of believers. See, there must be a plan to connect God's people. We can talk about it, but talking is not going to fix the problem. It seems as if the day and age that we live in, we, we like to come up with programs to fix problems. Programs are great. Programs are good for organizing us to be able to do things like we're doing right now. Right now, just so you guys know, we're on a program. We came in here today, and we started at 10. We dismissed at 1045. We started at 11. At 11 o'clock, we have the opening song, who was going to do it, and what mic they were going to use. Every detail of the service today was orchestrated. It's not because we're trying to organize God out of church. It's not because we're not trying to be led of the Spirit of God. But they, the Bible says to do things decently and in order. What we're doing right now is not bad. But what we're doing right now does not connect the needs of Christians in the pews. Say, man, this is depressing. No, it's not depressing. Turn to the Old Testament, Acts chapter 18, verse 13. I love reading to where God pulls out things and you're looking at it and going, wow, Lord, wow. We don't lie, Lord, you, you've always had a plan. You've always had something. And we turn to Exodus chapter 18. Did I say Acts? Hey, just so you know, it's all good. It's all good. We, we, we could turn to Exodus and, or Acts. It's, it's going to be something good from God. So, But since we're talking about let's do Exodus instead. so <laughs> You're totally not going to get my point if you're in Acts. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. Probably threw it off. I said, when I said, let's turn the Old Testament, look at Acts. They're like, man, this guy does not know his Bible. <laughs> There's sometimes, Brother Fenwick, that you do not have to say Amen. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. Here's, hey, how many of you love your father-in-law? Raise your hand right now. Some of you are sitting next to your father-in-law. You better raise your hand. I am blessed, blessed with an incredible father-in-law. I would say that if Jenny was in here or not. I am blessed with a great man of God that is my father-in-law. And I remember when I was a young man proposing to Jenny and, and, and we were starting our life together, how he sat me down and he challenged me with a lot of things. There's a lot of wisdom that comes from a godly person trying to invest God's word in other people. Here's Moses learning from his father-in-law. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood by Moses from the morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw that that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning until evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one or another. Man, that's a lot to do. And to make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. We have this mindset that the more I do, the harder I work, the more I bring on myself, the better that we are. Here's the thing. God didn't call us to be superheroes. 
And a lot of times you've got Christians, you've got dads that are so zealous trying to be the ultimate leader in the church, they drop the ball on their families. Or some people are so involved in their families of hanging out and there's a balance with everything that they don't do anything in the church and then the church suffers. He said, the thing that thou doest, listen to verse 18, thou will surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. He said, I'm going to tell you right now that you, you and the church, I'm applying this to today, you can have a lot of zealous people. But they will wear out, and so will the church, if you do not have a plan in place to connect your people. It was not productive, although everybody looked to him and everybody thought that he had the answers and they felt like he connected to God and when we have a matter, we go to him and we're whatever it is. He said, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it uh, thyself alone. He said, it's just... You cannot do it. Guys, sometimes we have to admit that there are just some things that we cannot do. It's hard to admit that. Being honest, this is why so many zealous Christians will get worn out by by trying to love others. It's why so many zealous Christians that will sit there and they're the ones that are always there and there and they're visiting everybody and they've got the zeal in the heart and eventually they don't do anything. I'll be honest, I'll take this a step further. There are people sitting in our church right now that maybe at your former church you were you were doing everything and you came to this church and you were like honey i want to slip under the radar because i am exhausted trying to please and help others you know that's true i know that's true in every church, so those are, there, there's those issues like that. When we get to the point where we're just, I, I don't want to put myself out there. I'm so exhausted. Can I tell you what God said through Jethro the Moses? The thing that thou were doing, the thing that I will do, the thing that people are doing now is not always a good thing. It's not good for the people and it's not good for you. Some of us can't say No. We jump into everything because the thing is, it's hard to see a need not being met and sit on our hands and do nothing. He said in verse 9, hearken now unto my voice and I will give thee counsel and God shall be with thee. I'd love to hear God sit down and say, Tony, if you'll just listen to what I have to say, I'm going to hook you up and I'm going to help you out. Be thou for the people to God word. He said, man, do what you're doing. That thou mayest bring the cause unto God, and thou shalt teach them the ordinances of the laws. He wasn't telling them not to do anything. He said, man, do your leadership. Preach, teach to them. Thou shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Jethro stops right here, and he says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers over thousands Rulers over hundreds, rulers over fifties, and rulers over ten. See, it wasn't a matter of him saying, don't have the congregation, don't have the children of Israel. But he said, I'll tell you what. You want to meet the needs of your people, then you've got to be able to take your people and break them down and have leadership over smaller groups of people within the body of Christ. Yes, we assemble, we worship, we encourage, but this is not enough to fulfill the biblical doctrine of fellowship within the church to involve each other in each other's lives. 
let me take you forward to a man named Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we would all say, was probably, not probably, he was the master communicator. He was the one that showed them the model, and Jesus said to the disciples, he said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. He said, guys, I'm going to set for you an example, um, a model, a, a, a layout that I promise you, the gates of hell, not even all the demons that we've studied and we've seen will be able to triumph over what I'm about to tell you. And he starts off and he's walking on the seashore and he goes up to one guy and he taps him on the shoulder and he says, will you go with me, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus goes on further than that and he comes across another guy and he goes up to him and he's picking these guys out and he taps them on the shoulder. He says, man, if you will follow me, I will teach you to be fishers of men. Jesus stops at a number. What was the number? Twelve disciples that Jesus pulls together. Jesus has these 12 men and he begins to invest in them. I'm not talking about just the fact that he sat on the shoreline or he sat on the side of the mountain or he fed them with the 5,000. I'm not just saying that they congregated. Jesus Christ invested in those 12 men and from those 12 men, the Bible tells us that Jesus, God, through the disciples of the work of their ministry, turned the world upside down by Acts chapter 17. Jesus stopped at 12 because that's all he could handle. He was a very busy man. How many of you believe that? Say, you you just limit our God to say he was too busy to handle more than that? Absolutely not. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I can tell you this, that Jesus stopped at 12 to give us a model, the fact that Jesus said it's not just about a congregation. It's about investing in a group to teach them to do the work of the ministry. Jesus had within that group an amazing thing. He taught them to love one another. See, here's the next thing. It must be focused on relationships, not just a program. It wasn't a matter of the fact that they got together and had a a, a list of names on a sheet of paper. Jesus woke up and he he served with them and he loved them and he he saw the good in them and the bad in them. You know how Jesus was able to walk up to Peter and say, Peter, I hate to tell you this, but you're, you're going to deny me three times. He was confrontational with the people that he loved. He got up in their business because he loved them, even though they had failures and faults. He knew when he went back that he'd have Thomas doubt him. He, he knew about the different things that they were going to do. He knew about Judas. He even told Judas, he said, tonight you will betray me. Jesus had these 12 that were connected. I, 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 I want to read a couple of verses. The Bible says in John, as he was teaching, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one towards the other. Two chapters later, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Five verses later, he says, These things have I commanded you, that you love one another. This wasn't just... A love where he said, I want you to walk up and shake somebody's hand. Jesus brought these 12 people together and they were in each other's lives in such a way that they knew what they were going through. They provoked, they edified, they carried each other's burdens and they were the local church. Can I show you guys for a minute the local church? I want to show you, the, I want to show you a congregation, okay? So we're going we're gonna to set up a congregation for just a minute. I, I know this is crazy, but... Just go with me, all right? So we're going to set up this congregation. We're going to pull together the congregation. Just bear with me. Just bear with me before you think I lost it. 
Some, sometimes we have to visualize, yeah. Sometimes we have to visualize things so we know what we're talking about. And I'm, I'm just going to lay it out, and next week I'll lay it out even more. But it's a great thing to wake up on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday afternoon, whenever you're at, and you get the kids out of bed, you pour the water on your husband's face and tell him to get up and go to church. You dig through all the dirty clothes to find a pair of socks for your kids that didn't do what they were supposed to do, and we, we do all this. But at the end of the day, we show up at church at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever it is, we assemble ourselves together what we would like to call a congregation. Guys, right now, you are a congregation. I'm not belittling what we have as a congregation because of the fact is, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. If you were to study the verse before and what it says afterwards, you're going to see that the Bible never said just to assemble ourselves together. But a lot of times, Christians never take it any further than this. That's as far as they ever take it. They go to church, they slap on their chest the title, I am a Christian and I belong to this church. No, you attend a church. You don't know what it means to belong to something. Within this body, within this church, within this congregation, I'm going to tell you that there are people that are burdened down with family problems. There are people that are depressed with life. You know how I know that? Because I, I talk to these people. They're sitting here right now. They're sitting among you right now. They're sitting there right now. And you say, well, I had no clue. You never will know. Okay? We shake hands. You know how it is. You, you go through there and we're, we're shaking hands. Man, so good to have you and doing all this. And these people are sitting there. Nobody's going to reach out to you while you're shaking hands and going, I thought about killing myself this week. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm, me and my husband actually been screaming divorce all week long. Are you going to say that when somebody comes up? Because, guys, you know the cliche statement. How are you doing? That is not a true statement. People ask that. I, I went to Walmart the other night. I was doing some work, and I needed a paintbrush. And I, I ran to Walmart at midnight. And I went up, and the lady asked me the question, how are you doing? I thought, what if I was really to tell her? Well, I'm kind of stressed right now. I got this project to do, whatever. She'd be looking at, what are you talking about? When you ask me how I'm doing, I was just going to tell her. We don't ask that question because we want to know. We do it out of a formality. Because if we were to really do that, you were to shake hands this morning and somebody was to say, you know what, my husband left me and I'm so alone. And you'd be like, oh, okay, all right, we're about to sing another song. I'll, you know what I'm saying? You just, I don't have time for that. But let me tell you what happens when people feel alone and people come into this congregation and nobody notices. We can say all day long that people fall through the cracks. Let's let label what that is. It means that people go somewhere where they're not taken care of. People go somewhere where they're not connected. People go somewhere, and all of a sudden, those people disappear, and you look back at the congregation and say, oh, well, the only way we know is when our numbers drop. They were never connected to anybody. They just assembled in a crowd. It's just, it's, it's just the way that it is. It's almost the culture that we've taught I go to church. I go to church. I sit in a pew. But I tell you, when I, when I look at biblical fellowship in the Bible, the intimacy that Jesus Christ had with the 12 disciples, it was a whole lot more than showing up in a building. 
And then when I read, and you do this so much, the more as you see it today approaching, because that means if I was actually to give them all, more and more hands and and signs would be going up all over the place. I I might be having this, and I might be dealing with this, and my husband said this, and I I, I might lose my house this week, and it would go up like crazy. But we stand, we sing, we do our deal, and for the most part, it's over. But then I thought, wait a minute, if we, what, were, what would happen if we followed that model, that Moses and Jethro? What would happen? What would it look like if we were to follow that example that Jesus Christ had with the 12 disciples as he came together? What, what would that look like if we were to pull together, and, and, and I'm not talking about cliques, but what would that look like if we were to follow what Jesus Christ said as he went up to them and he tapped them on the shoulder and he he told Peter and James and John, you can imagine the nights that they were sitting up in the upper room and Jesus Christ is sitting there in that corner. Can you imagine being in the upper room? And I hope you can because next week I'm going to take you there. Jesus sat with the twelve and they got so personal with there, but the thing is that Jesus let each one of them know that you're not alone. And he washed their feet and he invested in their life and he poured into them And the thing is, unless Christians bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, can I say that again? Bear ye one another's burdens. And you made Jesus happy. No, it says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God said the connecting and bringing people together where they're intricately involved in each other's life was not just an idea that Jesus had. He said it was part of the command of assembling yourselves together. Jesus didn't fail because he had 12 disciples. He understood the connection of having biblical fellowship where people were involved in each other's lives. Then God, through the preaching of God's word, God allows us to to add to the church that brother so-and-so and and this guy will walk into the local church. And it's such a cool thing that we do that because God had a plan Every passage that we read, the Bible says, and they multiplied, and they multiplied. Let me tell you why. You bring somebody that is hurting to some place where they care, and I promise you, they will come back. Not for a program, but for people. You show me that I'm not alone, and I promise you. You care about me as an individual, care about my name, you tell me who my kids are. You let me know that you've been praying for me every single day. But I tell you what, I could do that in this group, but I couldn't promise you that I could do it in this group. Right now, right right in this congregation, how many of you have a need or a burden on your heart right now? Raise your hand. We're going to yell them out. I'm going to write them down. But I can definitely go to this group and ask you guys what's on your hearts. And there's something that I could do about it. This is on my heart so much because the more I study the Bible, the more I see this. You guys can be seated. The only reason why I'm saying all this is I do believe that God has an important plan to build the body of Christ. But every passage I come to involves in breaking the church into groups to where they are part of one another's lives. 
You know what we would call that a lot of times? We'd say, I don't want to go to a church where they've got clicks. Nobody wants to be, go to a church where they have clicks. I guess if you were going to say what they did as a click would be to call Jesus Christ starting clicks. Jesus would be like, oh, he's all into that Peter, James, and John guy, but you, you, you'll never get into that click. It wasn't a click. It was a plan. It was a plan to build believers, hold them accountable, and edify them to the point of doing something big for God. And I know you guys are sitting there thinking, wow, this is, this is not the typical thing. I, the thing is, there, there's got to be a plan for this. <clears throat> Can I say it again? There, there's got to be a plan. It, it will not just happen. As much as we want to say, I, I believe like taking care of Christians and having them sick in the church is like checking to see if spaghetti's done. You guys know what I'm talking about? You take one out and throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. It's the most unsanitary thing ever, but Italians do it. I don't know. I think that's what we do with Christians is they, they walk through the door of the church and they, they've got these burdens and everything like that. They throw them against the wall to say, oh, they didn't stick. No, they're not going to stick. This is, this is the way they stick. They, they, God said, I, I know how to make it happen. 